I want to talk about this morning is guarding, is the armor of God and engaging in warfare. So before we do that, I would like for us to rise to our feet before the Lord this morning and to invite him into our midst. Lord God in heaven, we come before you in Jesus' precious name. We want to worship you this morning. We want to thank you for your faithfulness, for allowing us to come together here and to, and to minister to our hearts. And Lord, we pray that by your grace this morning, that we may see who you are, that we may see, Lord, where you're leading and directing us, that you may speak to our hearts. Lord, we pray that you will fill this room with your presence through the Holy Spirit and move our hearts and prick our hearts, convict our hearts, that give us and show us the reality of eternity, the reality of the sign of the times, not even in this world, but in our own lives where we're at with you, Lord. And Lord, that you have called us. You have called us onto a higher calling, Lord, than just even exist in this world. But Lord, you have called us to a purpose to a life that's, that is of service in you and your kingdom, Lord. And we pray, Lord, we can touch on these things this morning. We may see clearly, Lord, as you direct our ways. We pray for your presence again here with us. We pray that you may speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So engaging in the kingdom of God and the armor of God. <clears throat> Every believer has the opportunity to walk with the Lord and be protected and be protected from spiritual destruction. Every believer has the opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. Every believer to walk with the Lord, to be protected from spiritual destruction, from sin, and to advance the kingdom of God. And it is because of our risen Savior, of Christ, who brought us salvation. He has saved us from sin, from ruin. from hurt, from destruction, from hell, if we endure to the end. And not only in eternity, but also in the present. The preciousness of Christ in our life is so often taken for granted. But there is a life-giving experience that we can partake of if we abide in Christ. So for our scripture reading this morning, let's all turn to Ephesians 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. 
that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And he says it again, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We'll stop here. So if you read along, if you had your Bible open and you listen, you're alert. What comes to mind? What is the first thing that comes to mind when reading through these verses? It's a person engaged in warfare. It's a person that is alert. It's a, it's a person that is aware of his enemy. It's a person that is aware that the enemy can come in and strike at any time. It's a person that is aware that he's vulnerable. Did you notice he addressed it to the church as a whole? Not to one or two people. And that is one truth that I have realized in my life. Either we are complacent in our life or we will engage in a battle for our own souls and for others. There's only two streets, just like there's only two kingdoms. Either we're complacent or we will engage in a battle for our own souls and for the souls of others. Is it even possible to be in battle, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling and not look out for the souls of others, especially for our brothers and sisters? So since we're talking militant, militantly here about the armor of God, what is there to protect? What are we talking here? What, are, what do we want to protect? What is the price? Everything that is precious is worth protecting. So what do we want to protect? Why did Paul started talking about putting on twice the whole armor of God? It's again, I feel we're, it's, it's something we, we do not even, a lot of times we undermine the times we're living in, 
the condition maybe of our hearts, the condition maybe of our church, of our family. The, the working that Christ can do and will do. We have been called unto a precious life in Christ, which we will only realize if we have only, if we have been truly freed and forgiven. If we, if we cannot even grasp the preciousness of the life in Christ, of the freeing power in Christ, if we can't grasp it, maybe we're not walking in truth. Maybe we're not seeing. How can we not see a battle? It is only if we have been freed and forgiven that we, re- that we will realize that we are at war. It is only then that we realize that we have something precious to protect in our, in our life, in the lives of our brothers and sisters, in the life of our church, that we will engage in a battle. Otherwise, it's just ideologies, it's ideas, we talk. It doesn't touch our heart. Where our treasure is, this is where our heart is, this is what will move us. We can say all kinds of things. We can, we can make all kinds of claims. It, our heart triggers our actions. And so it is here. If we've been truly freed and forgiven, we will realize the preciousness of Christ, the redemptive power of Christ in our life and in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 13, 44. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. <clears throat> he finds the treasure, no, which a man found and hid. So he found the treasure and hid it. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So we can see there's something precious here. Jesus is talking about something precious for us to acquire and to partake of. He finds the treasure, the person, the parable, hides it again. Then he sells all that he had, his life, his possessions, and buys this field with a treasure. Now let's look at it in real life application. Do you think he would protect that field? Some way, somehow, or will he just let it go? He goes on in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Again, something precious. Jesus said, this is Jesus speaking, he likens the kingdom of God onto like these things, that there's something precious. It, it expounds the disposition of a need that every believer in Christ should have experienced at one time or another. If we sit here or we claim to be believers, we followers of Christ, we should have experienced this transition at one point or another of a need, selling out, and acquiring the field. 
where we had less and getting rid of it to pursue something way more valuable. He had found one pearl of great price and went and sold all that he had and bought it. Paul was talking about the form and the new life in Colossians. You should go there, Colossians 1, chapter, uh, verse 19. <clears throat> Colossians 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So he used the Son. He used Jesus Christ to reconcile all things to himself through the blood of the cross. And you, <clears throat> that's us, for now. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind, by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through that to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which Paul I, Paul, became a minister. So we were enemies in our mind by wicked works. We, we were at that position. And the only other option is we still are. And I usually like to put a lot of pressure on this point. Because we, in our nature... And our nature are in need of a Savior. And there has to be a time where we recognize there's a transition, there's a renewing, there's a new creature. Paul also talks about in Ephesians 2.5, when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. We were made alive together in Christ. And it's not what church or organization we're part of. It's not what knowledge we possess or intentions we had, but rather how we were enslaved to our sin and our own fleshly desires is what we're freed from. And Christ came. He was perfect. Men could not live perfect to the law. Christ came and he did. And he was the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. And by faith, we can obtain that too. Jesus proclaimed his ministry in Luke 4, 18 and 19, which gives a picture of the bondage that we can, that we can find ourselves in before Christ sets us free. So I, I, want, I want to point out where we, where we come from and where we're moving from and what to protect. Jesus stood up and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he was quoting Isaiah, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And again, all of us who are honest with ourselves will realize that we're in bondage and we're set free from one of these conditions. Or maybe there's a still a working going on. 
And if we're not, if we have not been set free, Christ is the answer to that liberty. It is still the acceptable year of the Lord. There's a working that Christ does, and it is still carried out through God's people. So when I, when I think about the armor of God, or to be dressed for battle, it is to put up a fight against the attack of the enemies and to protect from sin and from bondage. Again, not only in my own life, but all around me, the church has been called to such a work. The church has been called to work. The church has been called to battle. It's a kingdom. There is an enemy that is out to destroy, to devour, to steal. Are we aware of it? Are we aware of it in our own children? Are we aware of it in our own time? It's very serious. Because it's an eternal matter. We have to be aware of the need around us in our own vulnerability. Peter said in chapter 5, 8, First Peter, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So the, the precious pearl, the precious prize we talked about, there's someone out to get it. There's someone sneaking around and seeking how he may destroy that life and put people into despair, anxiety, depression, vulnerability. He is out to destroy. Do we have that precious pearl? Are we protecting it? A true soldier of Jesus Christ will always be aware of the battle that is happening around him. He will have one spear in his hand and with the other hand he'll be working. He will see where the enemy gains. He will see where he has to engage in the fight. There is very little time to lose. Eternity is drawing near. The enemy is damaging whatever he can. The enemy is coming in while the church is sleeping, sowing bad seeds. To engage takes faith and obedience. I believe these attributes are a good measure in our life to check and to see if we're in the faith. If we are aware that there's a battle going on, it's a measure. It's a measure if we're in the faith. To understand what I'm getting at, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to look at Nehemiah briefly. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hen and I, one of my brethren, came with me, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So he was concerned. 
what is happening back in the homeland? What is happening back in the promised land? And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. And there's a few things to notice here. And one of them here is that the last verse is the ownership of sin. Even the sin of his people. Of his father's house. The burden that he had for his people. Which I believe will translate to our house. To our people, to our church. Not try to bring our brothers and sisters down. But to have a burden. And confess. And not excuse it away. And to pray about it. And to fast about it. Verse 4. So when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God. Before the God of heaven. The reason this verse is so important is because here is a man that understood the devastation that came upon Jerusalem. And also the consequence of sin and the destruction thereof. The consequence of sin and the destruction thereof. He knew what it meant for the nation of Israel. What it meant for the nation of Israel, for the walls of Jerusalem to be in ruins. Remember, God in the Old Covenant had a dwelling place. It was the temple. It was the tabernacle and it was the temple. If there's no temple, God wasn't present among his, among his people. <laughs> Nehemiah knew when the, if the city is in ruins and the, the walls are broken and the gates are broken, there's no protection for the temple. Therefore, there is no temple. Because the temple was full of precious metals and all kinds of precious uh, furniture and all that. We, we, there's a whole, we know what, the, what was in the temple. It was precious. It had to be protected. And, and Jeremiah, Nehemiah knew that. He understood without a wall, no city in that area was safe from bandits, gangs, and even wild animals. A great city in that day needed a wall. The wall, the city and its wall depended on the temple as the source of God's provision for law, government, security, prosperity. Nehemiah knew 
the order and promises of God. He knew that the dwelling place of God here in this earth is supposed to be in the temple of Jerusalem. He understood the absence of the blessing of God on his people. The God who fought wars for them, the God who protected them. He understood that. He heard about the broken walls and what that meant for the temple of God. So now, here he has these visitors, his brothers came from all the way from Judah. He hears this news and he starts to weep and to fast. So the question is, what kind of a man does it take to be hundreds of miles away and hear the destruction of the things of God and just start weeping, praying, and fasting? Was this man out for his own? Was this man out to be someone in the kingdom where he was at at the time. This was a man that had a heart for God, that had a heart for his people. He started weeping, praying and fasting. He said, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When was the last time we wept? When was the last time we fasted and prayed? When was the last time we wept, fasted, and prayed for our church? For our family? For struggling believers? When is the last time we just stopped our busy schedule? <clears throat> our busy agendas and consider that a crisis life here is a crisis eternity in hell. When is it, when is it reached a radar that we stopped and we wept? When have we sat down and realized the devastation of a life without Christ? Have we realized the devastation of broken walls around, even around our own hearts? The walls and the gates that are down in our families, our church. Does it even cross our radar? If it does, then we're not in the battle. If there's no concern, no heart like that, then, we, then we're not in the battle. If, what does Ephesians 6 even mean then? We're no threat to the enemy. There's nothing to protect. It's, it's, it, has no, it has no meaning, Ephesians 6. When we look at the life of Nehemiah, when he saw the broken walls, when he saw the temple wasn't there, and how it affected him, it should be a picture of us when we look at children that are struggling, when we look at our brothers and sisters that are struggling, to weep and to pray and to fast and to be there for them. There was another man who cried over a city. 
and over that same city. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he started weeping. He saw the utter destruction and consequences of sin. And not recognizing the day of salvation. It says in verse 41 now, as he draw near, he saw the city and, and wept over it. Why did he weep? Did he miss the people there? Or? It's that same burden, that same heart that was in Nehemiah. Verse 42 saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And Jesus wept. Jesus himself was that sacrificial lamb. Jesus was talking about that visitation. That he had given him the opportunity. He had given him the opportunity for life to see. Sin always destroys. It takes human, human lives, it destroys places, it destroys countries, it destroys churches. Sin always destroys. Jesus was here. There was a time for this, for this city to be freed, to find life, and maybe to avoid the destruction. But they did not recognize the time of their visitation. And this is one of the biggest things that we should be alert is the time of visitation when Christ visits us. It's, it's not like a, we talked about it at the morning meeting, that repentance is a gift of God. We may seek it, but not, it might not be given at all times. But there is a time when Christ knocks at our door. There is a time. Just look at this time frame here. Christ was standing there. He was looking over Jerusalem. And he said, you missed your visitation. He was still here. He was still walking among them. And he said, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Just think about that for one minute. How sensitive, how alert we have to be for the truth of God to move in us. It's here. And we all know when we hear it. We all know when we're touched by it. And then all we have to do is react. If we don't react, we might be missing the time. Maybe for years. Maybe for eternity. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb that was walking among his own and they received him not. So, even now, today, every part of the armor in Ephesians 6, the armor of God, is about Christ. We'll go back there and look at it. 
Everything is about Christ and that armor. Without Christ, there is no armor. Without Christ, there's nothing to dress for war. Without Christ, there is no soldier. It is because of Christ. Christ is the armor. So, here again is a commandment. Again, we're of a day and age where we're used to very much of, well, I believe this. I had a sinner's prayer and uh, I'm trying pretty good. Maybe I have the armor of God on. Maybe it's some miracle I was dressed by the armor of God. Does that even make sense? I believe Paul commended us twice here to put on the whole armor of God. He said, put on the whole armor of God. Twice. Twice he said that. Now, what kind of responsibility does that leave on us? If we're supposed to put on the old armor of God and Christ is the armor. How many soldiers do you know went into a serious battle without training? How many armies do you know that didn't prepare for war? I don't think there are any. <clears throat> so let's look back to Ephesians 6. Let's look at the, at the armor. There are six of them. First one, gird your loins with truth in order to stand. The belt of truth. What is truth? John 16, 13, Jesus said, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So, again, if, if things are in order in our life, if we're true, if we're faithful, the grace of God kicks in. He, the spirit of truth, will lead us into all truth. But again, like everything else, we have to make that choice. We have to stand for truth. Truth is the weapon we use against every wind of doctrine or the deception of the world. Truth is the doctrine preached by the apostles, by Christ, and to, is to know the truth, is to have the truths of Christ in an apologetic way, knowing who we are, knowing what we stand for. So when there's something strange coming our way, we know who we are. How many times in our lifetime have we experienced false teachers coming on the scene and many people flocking to them because they never dealt with truth in their life? Oh, look what he's doing. He does something that I recognize in Scripture. So he must be good. And then people flock to him. Why do people flock to him? Because they've not dealt with truth. Truth is not established in their hearts. They have not sought truth. They have not travailed to see truth. Therefore, it's no weapon. 
It's a vulnerable area in their life. And it can be in our life. And we can be hit with deceit, with deception. We can be deceived. All of these things are very important to be a warrior for Christ and to be protected from the enemy. They're important to minister to, to minister the gospel. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is put on by the right practice of true repentance. Without true repentance, we don't come to righteousness. Righteousness again, repentance again, sorry, is recognizing our sin, admitting our sin, and then repenting if God gives the heart and grace to repent and then to stop. Then from that, that platform, righteousness can start to build. It's to live and exist in the grace of God, redeemed, forgiven, and live unto Christ. It is choosing righteousness over the various or the pressure we get from our environment. It's to choose the righteousness of Christ. It's to choose righteousness in the secret, secret of our lives, in our rooms, in our homes. And it's a protection. A breastplate protects the most vital, one of the most vital parts of human body. Without righteousness, again, there's not much protection. Every decision we make, everything we do, shall be governed by what is right in the eyes of God. This whole thing again that's crept into the modern church of liberty, free in Christ, all things are lawful unto me. It's rubbish. In the sense that the modern church takes it. When we look at the word of God, we ask, how will this glorify Christ? How can I be more like Christ? How will this glorify Christ? Instead of, do I have to do that? Is this important? Why do we have to do this doctrine? Why, why? You, know, you know the difference here, how we, how we approach the word of God? And it's building upon, it's a step-by-step -step building. And eventually, when the decision is entirely up to us, when no one is looking, under pressure, we choose to make the right choice. By the grace of God, it's righteousness. It's a protection. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. One word that stood out to me more than ever before when I read these verses is the word or the preparation. The preparation of the gospel of peace. So, Having our feet shod with what shoes? With the gospel of peace. But he chose to put in with, with the preparation, and it takes preparation. It's a lifestyle. Choices we make. It's a day by day of pursuing Christ, so when the evil day comes, we'll be able to stand. 
And the important word is preparing. As we examine ourselves, we find we need to find these patterns of pursuing Christ in every aspect of our life. So that when we engage in the battle, we have confidence of who we are in Christ. We come with that peace of what Christ has done in our life. It's having peace with God, knowing who we are. We are at peace with God through the blood of Christ. How can we fight? How can we minister the gospel if we don't know who we are? We have to be equipped and at peace with God. Christ came to bring peace between God and man. And that has to be our life. And again, it's not what we did back here. It's what we're, how we're doing now. And it's preparing. It's preparing every day to, to engage with that, to have that armor on. Without feet, without shoes, I mean, it's pretty rough in a battle. Every army, for sure, since the Romans had special shoes. This is why Paul probably talked about it here. That give them traction, stability, protection and they had these shoes had to be carefully prepared just like today and so our our life it's an everyday preparing to have the gospel come forward to us knowing who we are in Christ preparing and living that life of a redeemed son child of God above all the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield of faith. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We believe in the commandments of God. We believe in the promises of God. When the enemy targets us with his darts of doubt, hopelessness, lies, or any other accusations. <clears throat> we come back to the promises of God, which is our shield of faith. Lord, you said this. You said this in your word, and I believe what you said. Here comes the dart. That you're not worded. You said this, Lord. You're a liar. Lord, you said that I'm forgiven. If we abide in the truth, if we are a soldier. But, but you notice that Paul said, above all, the shield of faith. It keeps the attacks coming through flying object, lies, what the enemy throws against us. And we so often get lost in our own concoctions in our mind and get lost in reasoning that doesn't even line up with the word of God. All right, I have to stop and come back. Lord, these are your promises. This is what you said. Help me. Help my own belief. And many times we have to deal with that in a repentful way too. We have to deal with our own belief. We have to bring that before the Lord. And we have to confess to him, Lord, I'm having issues here. I'm having issues with unbelief. I can't or something wrong. Lord, help me. 
If the shield of faith is missing in our life, we're very vulnerable. In fact, we probably go down. Back in these days, and a soldier without a shield is extremely vulnerable. We continue by the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not intimidated by his darts, but trust in God that he is true and faithful. These things need to be set in our hearts. The helmet of salvation. Just the fact that it's talking about the head. I'd say it's telling us that it's knowing again and standing on the truth that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. To cherish this truth and knowing Christ as our Redeemer. That is, why, that is what I go by. Knowing what Christ has done for me. Knowing what Christ went through. And like it says in Hebrews, consider him who endured such contradiction. It's knowing. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word is our offensive method in propagating the kingdom of God. When we minister the Word of God, the Holy Spirit helps people see their sins and convicts them to repentance. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Marrow. And is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The sword of the Spirit. To be equipped with the Word of God. Like this brother here said during the week. But are we giving the Word each day? 15 minutes? Zero? What's, what's missing then from the armor? The sword. It's, it's the one piece of armor that has an offensive mechanism. How can we be effective in the kingdom of God if we don't know the word of God? Hmm. You don't have to answer this, but how many of us study the word of God minimum half an hour, minimum 20 minutes, at least half an hour each day? How many of us do that? When we look at the when we look at the, the armor of God, <clears throat> who here thinks that is something that is acquired automatically? I think nobody does. <clears throat> All of that armor, the protection that God has given us through the Holy Spirit through Christ, is something that we have to work out with fear and trembling. From the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, all of these need equipping. So what are we going to do about that?
what are we going to do about the armor of God? Are we willing to at least find out if we are engaged in a battle? Are we willing to examine ourselves to see if we have the armor of God? Are we willing to see if we are preparing each day to have the armor of God, to, to make each armor specifically and to pay attention to each armor specifically and to look at each one individually? How is righteousness doing in our life? in our secret chambers? How's truth in our life? What does our word mean? Is truth defining us? How's the word of God alive in, my, in me? Do I fully see and recognize what Christ did for me? Are we willing to ask these questions for the series of the warfare that is going on? Last but not least, Paul exhorts the church to pray. Prayer has to be part of our daily life, our culture, and even define who we are. He said in 6.18, praying always, with all prayer and supplication the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Just even this commandment is, again, a believer engaging in something, in a war. Caring, knowing what's going on. Engaging in prayer. As the early church did. As many churches do. Many believers do. They come together and pray. They pray in their rooms. All by themselves before the Lord. Is that our life and our culture? Something to look at. The armor of God is abiding in Christ. It is to put on Christ. Paul commands us to put on Christ. So, amen. May we find ourselves engaged in a battle and being protected by the whole armor of God. And if we cannot find ourselves in that condition, may God give us the grace to repent, to repent before him. To repent and to see, <clears throat> to see what, where we're living in, the times we're living in, how vulnerable we are, how God can use us even in our own midst. So may the Lord help us. Amen.